Hey, Chapel Street Church, as you know, over the last several weeks, we've been partnering together with our kids in VBS to support a ministry called Cure. Cure is an amazing ministry that's putting first world hospitals in developing countries all over the globe, but the one we're supporting is in Zambia, in Africa. My wife and I actually had the privilege and joy of being in Zambia and seeing firsthand the work of Cure Zambia and the way that they're not only providing life-changing surgeries for these children and families, but also the great spiritual care that they're loving on them and teaching them the love of God in Christ. They're, it's a wonderful ministry. We're thrilled to partner with them. Our goal is to raise $150,000, and I'm thrilled to tell you we're already more than two-thirds of the way to our goal, so I know we're going to hit the goal. But more than the number of or the, the dollars raised is we want every Chapel Streeter to take part in this, because every one of you who gives what, of whatever amount, your money goes to support Cure and other Serve the World partners just like them. Let me tell you a little bit about Cure. Part of our goal and what we're raising is to pay the salary of a surgeon for a year. We met one of these surgeons when we were there, my wife and I. His name is Dr. Jimmy. He was one of the top orthopedic uh, surgeons for children in the UK. And we talked to him about his story and why he would choose to leave that lucrative profession where he was highly regarded to come to the middle of nowhere, Zambia. And he said, I'm replaceable in the UK. There are so many surgeons highly trained just like me. But here, I feel like I'm irreplaceable and God's using me in a, in a different way. And so we got to be with him in the operating room while he operated on a little girl named Catherine, repairing her club feet. To see the change in her physical body, what happened in her mother's life, the celebration of the staff and other families that were there was remarkable. And not only that, but surgeons like Dr. Jimmy are not just doing the surgeries, they're training Zambian doctors to do the same. And so when we give to support this salary, it has exponential impact in ways you can scarcely imagine. And I wanna encourage you, Perhaps you've never given to Chapel Street Church or to the work of God anywhere. This is the perfect opportunity because every dollar we give goes to Cure and then above and beyond that to all of our Serve the World partners who are also doing remarkable ministry. So let's come together and finish our goal of $150,000 and go above and beyond because we serve a God who has, does above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. Thanks for being part of the generosity journey here at Chapel Street Church. Well, uh, if you've been tracking with us this past uh, few weeks this summer, we've been telling the story of Cure, uh, and you just heard from Pastor Jeff some of the impact that they are having, and, and we're so excited uh, that we get to partner with them in this way. Uh, he mentioned it. We are over two-thirds of the way there. I think we're around $110,000 raised. Several hundred people have contributed to that, and so if that's you, uh, let me just say thank you. Thank you for, for what you're doing. Thank you for being generous. Thank you for giving back from what God has given you. And if not, I would love for you to consider what you might be able to do to be part of reaching this goal of $150,000 for us. Whether it's, you know, a couple dollars, to a cup of, a, of coffee price, or, or something much greater. We believe that God will use your generosity in great ways, and so we thank you for being a part of it. Uh, let's pray, and we'll open up God's Word together. Father, we do thank you for bringing us here. We thank you for this day, and, and thank you for who you are. Uh, Lord, as we declare your greatness, as we praise you, uh, would you also speak to us? Would you guide us? Would you give us wisdom uh, as we turn to your word? We pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, uh, I have a, a mission today. Uh, my goal uh, is to figure out who in this room has had the worst job ever. 
So we're going to do this. This is a full room, so I think the way to do this best will be, I'm going to give you, it's going to be a little bit interactive here, uh, more so than usual. So what I want to do is give you maybe 30 seconds to a minute. You're not going to have long. Just turn to one or two or three people around you, and I want you to tell them what the worst job that you had was and what made it so terrible. So take 30 seconds to a minute and go ahead and do that now. All right, let's go ahead and bring it back in if we can. This is going to take a while. I didn't think through this part of how I would do this. That was, that was a mistake. Uh, let, me tell you, uh, let me tell you my worst job. I don't think I'm going to win. I, I haven't had like a truly terrible job. My worst job uh, was probably my summer after my junior year of college. I spent that summer in Atlanta. Uh, working for a missions organization, and, and part of that job was all of us on staff at this organization stayed at this really old church, uh, and the church did not have beds, and it did not have air conditioning, and it did not have showers. Like, we literally had to pay for a membership at the Y to go shower, um, and it was terrible. It also didn't have cell phone reception, and I had just started dating my now wife, and so I spent that summer lonely and sweaty. So that's not great, but I think someone can beat that. If you think that you've had the worst job here, or maybe you heard someone who did, just shout it out. What, what do we have here in this room? And a hush. <laughs> That's going to be tough to beat. <laughs> I have no follow-up questions. I don't want to hear any more about that. Supposed to eat ice cream in half an hour. Anybody else? Can anybody beat that? Probably not, right? <laughs> I know that you did. Don't start. All right, congratulations. Worst job. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I should congratulate you or not. Um, a few months ago, I, uh, we had a, a men's conference over at the Kessinger campus, and uh, in my breakout session, I asked that question of, of all the men that came, and there were four different sessions, and every answer uh, had something to do with manure, which was concerning. Uh, and so I don't know why Chapel Streeters are, are doing that so much, but, but that's where we're at. Uh, today, uh, as we continue in our Pursuit of Wisdom series, we're talking about wisdom in the workplace. What God has to say about wisdom and work. If you've been following along with us, we've been working our way through Proverbs, this book that is just filled with wisdom for every part of our life. We've been asking ourselves as followers of Jesus, how can we grow in our skill set, in our ability? What does it look like to live well and live wisely in the world that God has made? If you were here last week, we talked about wisdom and family, how wise families seek out wisdom together. And in future weeks, we're going to be looking at things like temptation and friendships and self-control. 
And today, we focus on the wisdom that Proverbs offers when it comes to the work that we do. This is my goal in the time that we have together, to show you that whatever stage of life you are in today, whether you're a student or in a career or a stay-at-home parent or even if you're retired, that God cares deeply about the work that you do. And he cares deeply about the way in which you do it. Work matters to God, and so it should matter to us. And so what I want to try to do in our time is to show you kind of a, a theology of work. In other words, in light of what I believe about God, how should I view and how should I go about the work that he has given me? And so we're going to look at different principles found in Scripture and specifically in Proverbs, and I just want to show three of them to you today. The first being that wise people see work as worship. Wise people see work as worship. We're going to, similarly as last week, kind of bounce around different Proverbs and different scriptures, and we'll start today uh, in Proverbs chapter 16. It says this, that the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Uh, back when I was in high school, I worked at an ice cream store. It was my first real job that I had. I was 16 years old, and uh, I'm of the firm belief that every Christian should work in the food service industry uh, because nothing will show you how broken people are than that. Uh, like, I remember being 16 and having, like, adult men scream at me because I forgot to put sprinkles on their ice cream, and then I went to church, and they said that all people are sinners, and I was like, yeah, I could see that. It makes sense. I remember getting my first paycheck, it was like $200, uh, and like a quarter of it didn't even go to me, and I showed my dad, and I was like, what's this? And he's like, that's the government taxing you. And I said, what's the government going to do with the money? And he just laughed. <laughs> I didn't get that at the time. Um, but this is the first thing that I want you to notice, that God doesn't just care about work, that, that he himself is a God that from the beginning works himself. It's one of the first things that we learn about him. We see this back in Genesis chapter 2, that that the heavens and the earth were finished, all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. Now, we talked about this back when we did our Genesis series. Some of you might remember this, but, but this is something that we kind of just skip right past, uh, that, that God works. It just makes sense to us. But for those reading this back in the time of the Old Testament, this would have been a shocking statement to read. Work, back then, was not something that was considered respectable. It did not have dignity. Work was for servants. Work was a punishment. In fact, many people believed that humans were created because the gods did not want to work. Work was a necessary evil, a punishment given to lesser beings. And what Genesis does from the very beginning is pushes back against all of that. And it says, no, work is actually a good thing, and, and not just that, work is actually a godly thing. God, from the very beginning, creates and builds and works. Work isn't just good, work is sacred. And work matters to God. Jesus uh, spoke of this as well. This is in John uh, chapter 5. 
he answered them. The, the them he's answering are religious leaders who was mad that he was working on the Sabbath. And they were all fired up, and they were trying to kill him. And he just says this. He says, my father is working until now, and I am working. Let's pause here. Just consider that for a moment. Don't, don't skip past that. I know that you know this, but, but think about it. That God is not simply sitting up in heaven thinking godly thoughts. God is not a divine clockmaker who set things into motion and wound them up and set them off and hoped that we would stay on track. You have a Savior who came not as a king, but as a carpenter, ready to work. You have a God who does not view work as something that is beneath him. God is still working in the world, and he is still working in your life. Even when we don't see it, even when things seem broken, our God is a God who works. Here's the next thing I want you to notice, that God gives us work. He gives us work. This is Genesis uh, chapter 1. It says that God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in chapter 2, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Each of us, whatever stage of life you are in, has been called and given work by God. We've all been created and called to work to the best of our ability. Perfect timing. <laughs> I need that every time I make a good point. Uh, Timothy Keller talked about this idea of, of the work that we've been called to. He, he says this about work. This is a great quote. It says that work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world thrive and flourish. In other words, work is so much more than what so many of us see it as. Work is not a necessary evil, not a punishment for sin. It existed before sin came into the world, and it will continue after it is gone. Work is more than a career, more than just something that you do for a paycheck. All of us are called to work. Kids, students, your time in school to learn and to study is the work that God has given you. Right now, my wife is in a season of staying home and, and raising our son. That is her work. In fact, in our family, that work is far more important than mine. Those of you that are retired, just because your formal work career is over does not mean that the work that God has for you is done. All of us are called to work. This is what wisdom recognizes, that work is part of God's design for life. We have all been invited by God to take our skill set and our energy and our resources and rearrange them as best we can to help the world thrive. God worked. He gave us work. Here's the third thing as we build out this theology of work. That work belongs to God. It belongs to God. I, I hear this as a pastor sometimes uh, where people will refer to the work that, that I do and Pastor Sterling does and those who are out on the mission field and, and they talk about it and they, they say something like that we are doing God's work. And certainly I, I hope that we are, but this is what wisdom recognizes that you are too. 
All work is God's work. All work is sacred. If you are a follower of Jesus, there is no part of your life that he does not care about. Your work belongs to him. God did not call Adam and Eve to be preachers, to write sermons, to sing songs of praise. He called them to be workers, to cultivate the earth, to create, to take what he had given them and build good things. All of us are to commit our work to the Lord. Work, if we properly understand it, is to be just as worshipful as the songs that we just sang earlier today. Because it is the way in which we make his world more good. It is the workplace that we build good things and raise good people and create places of belonging and beauty and order and stability. Work is one of the most important ways that we worship. Uh, There's a pastor and an author, his name is John Mark Comer, who uh, wrote about this idea. His book is called Garden City. Uh, and the quote is a little long, but, but I want you to look at what he says, uh, because this is the way I want you to view your work as well. He says this, that when you go to work tomorrow, remember, you're not just a mom or dad getting your kids off to school or reading a story before bed. You're living up to God's call on your life to be fruitful and increase in number. You're not just a contractor working long, hard days in the heat and cold to build a house. You're cultivating the earth, drawing out its potential, and reshaping the world. You're not just a student going to class or a software engineer working on a new app or a chef coming up with a new recipe or a scientist in his or her lab or a checker standing in place at a grocery store. You are a modern-day Adam or Eve. Your job is to take all the raw materials that are spread out in front of you, to work it, to take care of it, to rule, to subdue, to wrestle, to fight, to explore, and to take the creation project forward as an act of service and worship to the God who made you. This is the way that wise people think about their work. They see it as a gift entrusted to us from God to take his world and make it good, to make things thrive and flourish. Okay, so that's the first one, work as worship. Here's the second principle that wise people do. They see their work as a calling. They see their work as a calling. I remember uh, at my job, I mentioned my first job was at an ice cream store, and and it was at that job uh, that I received the best piece of work advice that I have ever heard. Uh, I had just started that job. I was being trained, and the guy that was training me was a few years older than I was, and he was supposed to be showing me how to make, you know, different ice cream things on the menu and and all of that, and instead, uh, this is the advice that he gave me. He told me that if you walk at a fast pace and you carry a bin of dirty dishes, no one will ever ask you to do any work. And he would literally do that. He would just walk in loops in our store, just carrying dishes. And and whenever a manager would see him, he would just like pretend like it's really heavy and be like, oh, I can't talk. (laughs) And I don't know what that guy is doing now, but I think he should be president. Like, how, that's genius. How did he think of that? It's incredible. Solomon, though, has uh, some advice of his own as we look at our next principle. And it's, I think, maybe a little bit better. That work for the follower of Jesus is a calling and not just a career. It's a calling and not just a career. 
You remember a few weeks ago, we were talking about uh, the, the path of wisdom, that, that for Solomon in, in the Proverbs, wisdom is depicted as a path and not a doorway. We looked at this, and we, we talked about how uh, so often when we think of wisdom and when we think of calling, we think of what and where. Maybe when you think of your work, you think of, you know, am I doing the job that God wants me to be doing? What is this job that he has in mind? Or, or where should I go? Should I stay where I'm at, or is he calling me somewhere else? And those aren't bad questions to ask, but this is what we see when we uh, explore the Proverbs and look throughout Scripture, that, that calling is mostly uninterested in trying to answer them. There are very few proverbs about what you should do or where you should go, and there are much more about how you should work and why you should do it. God is deeply interested in the reason that you work and the way in which you do it, your motivation and your methods. And if we get that right, then there is freedom to walk on the path that he has given us. So we see this throughout Proverbs. A few themes pop up in the way in which we are to work, that wise people work diligently, they work with integrity, and they work for God and not themselves. We see this first one, that that wise people work diligently. This is Proverbs chapter 6. It says this. This is a great verse. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Isn't that great? (laughs) Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. Then chapter 15, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. You don't hear the word sluggard very often anymore. I think we should bring it back. If you've been uh, tracking with us in this series, this is something that that Solomon has done and and we'll continue to see him do where in order to teach what is wise, he will contrast it with what is unwise. And so he uses these two characters, the the wise worker and the one he calls a sluggard, which is just a fun way of saying someone who is lazy. And he's showing us this to show us that, that wise people work with diligence. They work hard. They are defined by a good work ethic. He points us to the example of an ant who works even without obligation or external motivation. In other words, wise people do not simply work for money or because they have to or because it will help them get ahead. They work because they understand that work is worship, and they see that if that is true, then a failure to work is a missed opportunity to love God. Work matters. It is a calling given to each one of us. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 9, that the harvest is plenty and the workers are few. Your community, your family, your church needs your work to help make the world better. We are to work diligently. Here's the second one, that we are to work with integrity. This is Proverbs uh, 11, and then we'll see one in verse 16, or in chapter 16 as well. It says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. It's better, in other words, to have a little, to, to do okay, to get by on God's provision, and to maintain your character, your values, the 
old school way of putting this would be to say to not lose your witness in the way that you do your work. A while ago, I was talking to a, a friend about this, and, and he told me that uh, a point, he got to a point in his job where he decided that he needed to do his work in a Christ-like way. And so he kind of made this switch where he intentionally started to, to treat those that he was working with better and to care for his employees and, and to not take shortcuts that everyone else in his industry was taking and you know, all of these things. And he told me that, that once he made that switch, he saw his business grow, that people were drawn to him because of how different he was than everyone else that they worked with. The wise person says that even if none of that happens, I will do it anyways. Because he is worth more than any prize. Jesus talks about this as well. We see this in uh, Mark chapter 8. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Wise people recognize this. That the way in which I work and the honesty that I show even when I've messed up. The humility I work with, owning up to and asking for forgiveness. The words I don't use, the activities I don't participate in, even if everyone else does. All of this is worth it, even if it makes me feel overlooked or left out or stereotyped or judged. My work is not just a career, it is a calling. There is no work that God doesn't care about, and I have been called to live a life of integrity and to represent the gospel in my workplace. Third, wise people work for Christ and not for themselves. We just looked at this a few months ago in our Colossians series. This is Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus, this is true for you and for me today. That your goal, your reward, your motivation is so much more than self-advancement or financial gain. You have been placed in your workplace for a greater purpose. You are serving the Lord himself. He has called you to be a source of light and of hope in a world, in a workplace filled with darkness. Wise people care and love and build relationships with those that they work with. They are the first to respond and the first to show up when someone experiences loss or difficulty or struggle. Wise bosses look to the leadership of Jesus, the way he served and cared for and washed the feet of those that followed him. They do not view authority as a power to wield, but a responsibility to shepherd. Wise employees pray for the good and the salvation of those they work with. They seek out opportunities to display their faith in action and in work. Pastor Brian uh, shared a story with me a while ago uh, about someone that goes to Chapel Street. I don't know who it is. Maybe it's you. Um, but this person, uh, every day when he went to work, had part of his routine where he would just pray silently before he ate lunch in the cafeteria. That's all he did. His workplace had all these rules about things you couldn't talk about. I'm sure many of you uh, are in a similar place. And so that's all that he would do. And after, I don't even know how long of doing this, someone came up to him one day because their life was falling apart. And they had seen this person pray. 
and said, I know you're a person of faith and I need your help. Would you pray for me? See, this is what it means to work for the Lord. Not that you have to preach from your cubicle or stuff tracks in people's mailboxes. It simply means to recognize that I have a greater calling than what my job description says. That I am to look for opportunities to represent Christ and be ready when the gospel door gets opened. Wise people work diligently with integrity and they work for Christ. Here's the last principle that we'll look at today, uh, that wise people see work as a reminder. They see it as a reminder. Uh, I want to show you several verses from the gospel of John about the work uh, that Jesus came and, and the way he describes it. This is John chapter 9, verse 4. He says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Wise people recognize the work that is already finished. This is something that John picks up on. There are more verses that I could have pointed out uh, to you where, where over and over Jesus talks about the work he came to do. He talks about fulfilling the work that he came to do. And then he declares that it is finished as he lies there on that cross. What's interesting as we look at the work of Jesus is that the way in which he works lines up exactly with what we just talked about. Jesus worked diligently. He worked hard. He was focused on the mission. Think about all that he did in just a few years of ministry. The end of John's gospel in John chapter 21, he says that if they wrote everything down that Jesus did, they would run out of books in the world. Jesus showed integrity in his work, never using his authority for selfish gain, never using his power to strike down his enemies, always speaking truth in love. Jesus remembered that he did not work for himself. He served his Father's will. We see this perhaps most famously in Mark chapter 14, where he is about to take on the curse of sin, and he cries out to God to take away this cup, but not my will, your will be done. Work is not just an act of worship, not just a calling. Work is a reminder of who Jesus is. When we work, we are pointed back to what has already been done. Paul writes about this in Ephesians uh, chapter 2. This will be, again, familiar to some of us. He says, That is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This is why this matters, because for, for too many of us, this is the temptation that we face, that, that our problem is not laziness. In fact, we've gone too far the other way. And for many of us, the temptation that we face is to build our life and our worth and our identity on the work that we can do. Everything that we have, built on our accomplishments. This is the culture that we live in. This is the American dream that we have been told. How easy is it for our work to become our whole life? Today, if you find yourself measuring your worth by your accomplishments, if you are worn out, 
tired, burned out from your work, if you're an overwhelmed student or an exhausted parent, if you had to relearn your life and your identity when you retired, here are Jesus' words for you. He says this in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is Jesus' call for you today, to just come to him, to give him your burdens, to lay down your desire for your work to be enough, and simply rest in his presence. Let him restore your soul. Let him remind you that life is not about the work that we can do. It is about the work that is already done. Work is a good thing. It is not a good master. Jesus did the work that none of us could. The work of redemption and salvation, restoring our identity as a child of God, making us an heir of the Most High. And it is a gift. Nothing we can do to earn it, no work that we can accomplish. We work not so that we might be enough, but we work as a response of worship and gratitude to the one who has given us that gift. And so let us be people that do what Solomon instructs to commit our work to God and let Him establish our plans, our identity, and our lives. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day, and thank you for the work that you did that we could not. Lord, today, many of us are tired, burned out, weary from trying to be enough in this world. Father, would you give us rest for our souls? Or would you guide us? Would you be with those who are questioning their work, questioning where you want them to be? Would you remind them of the calling that you have given them to work for you? Help us now to worship you in a response of gratitude for who you are. Amen. Well, we're so glad that you can be here today. A few uh, announcements just real quick I want to share with you. Uh, Our ice cream truck is here and ready to sugar up your kids. Uh, If you didn't know that there was going to be an ice cream truck, you picked a great day to come to church. We'd love for you to stick around, just uh, share in some community together, uh, and uh, it'll be available. And I've been asked to instruct you to line up to the right uh, when you walk out so that cars don't hit you on your way. Uh, And so uh, one other thing, just to share uh, our uh, uh, annual picnic, I guess second annual picnic at the Tate Farm is coming up uh, in August, August 13th. Uh, and we would love for you to be there. You can sign up using the QR code up on the screen, and I believe there will also be sign-up sheets as you wait in line uh, for ice cream, and so we're going to hit both at the same time, and uh, it's a great time just to share as a church family, and so we hope that you are able to make it for that. Now would you receive today's benediction? Go now in the power and the love and the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the one who accomplished the work so that you can rest in his presence. Amen.